Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So um, I was just sharing with you an interesting conversation I've been having uh, with someone else about the difference between experiments and bets and how those relate to predictions. And then as we were discussing that, you, you mentioned that you recently had a, a discussion about how uh, estimates are lies. And I thought, this is perfect. Now we have four things to discuss. <laughs> we, Sounds we, great. We have bets, experiments, lies, and predictions and, and the differences between them. And, and I think what's, what I like about this is that in all cases here, uh, we're really talking about uncertainty and embracing uncertainty to a certain extent. And I think that's um, uh, the, the question of whether estimates are helpful or harmful often comes down to how people deal with or, or don't or fail to deal with the uncertainty inherent in them. Well, I, I know how to deal with it, Jeffrey. It's very simple. What we're going to do is just remove all uncertainty because uncertainty is, uh, is, is bad all the time. So <laughs> let's get rid of all uncertainty and then we won't be uncertain about anything. Right, ne exactly. And we, and we can do that by just spending more time on the estimates. Maybe if we're exactly. more careful. Yeah. Exactly, that's right. If we so. held three backlog grooming sessions instead of just two, then we'd have accurate predictions. Why don't we just do that? Exactly, and, and, but but neither you nor I believe that that's uh, the right way to go. Oh, that it's, you're unmasking that me. Diminishing returns. So, <laughs> so we I think we've covered that before in our uh, podcast episode on the tilted slider, uh, oh, yes. which newer listeners might not have heard of. I think it was probably you know several years ago we covered that, but we'll have to add a link to the show notes. Absolutely. So let's just say that we're we, that we that you and I both take it as a sort of uh, a, a truth that there's some inherent uncertainty in what we're doing and and it, it, there's different types of uncertainty now the 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 where this discussion came up uh for me was talking to someone and i was basically saying when we when i talk about planning with people i always try to put the language in terms of predictions so when we when we make plans we're actually making predictions about what we expect to happen and again i i like to make this distinction uh, for similar reasons, what you're describing with estimates, which is a lot of people say, well, we've made the plan. So naturally everything is going to happen the way we've said. <laughs> and, and by, by bringing in the word prediction, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, the exactly. position we're... is to say, let's remember that everything that's written on this paper is a lie. None of it has happened yet. <laughs> Some of it might become true if we're really lucky, but we should expect that most of these things, almost all of them are not going to come true. Yes. And that's, and that's where, where I bring the language predictions to make it clear that even the things that we're most certain about, that, that just means that we have a, a high degree of confidence in our prediction. It does not mean that the prediction is 100%. And, and partially here, I'm, I'm very influenced in this discussion about predictions by my exposure to the rationalist community and the, the work of Philip Tedlock. He talks about super forecasting and the use of betting markets and the idea that when we make predictions, we want to have a, a, a level of confidence that we express. So it's not just that I, I make a prediction something's going to happen, but I also have a level of confidence. And that allows me to uh, un, uh, establish a track record over time of how well calibrated I am, meaning how often if I have a 70% chance something's going to happen, that it actually comes true seven out of 10 times. And with the appropriate level of confidence, because it might happen infrequently, but you're not very confident. That, it might happen right. one out of 10 times, and you're really confident that that's what it's going to be. That's right. And and I'll say this this is really a useful framework for me, because very often when people are doing planning and making predictions, I think they they tend to um, lose sight of this level of confidence. So they can... they. 
they come to the thing they think is more than 50% likely to happen. And then they write it down as though it's a certainty. <laughs> and, and so to remind ourselves that we're dealing with uncertainty, this question of well, what's your level of confidence is one that I use a lot. And I also use it with people I coach. I was recently talking to a, a product manager and working with multiple development teams. And I asked them, you know, when you got a prediction from, a, from a people, oh, this will be done in two weeks, to then ask follow-up question. Well, you know, what's your level of confidence? You know, how, how certain are you it'll be done in, in two weeks? Are you, at, are you 95% certain? Are you, are you 50%? And, and that led to very productive conversations with the development teams to, to make the distinction between something that was like, well, you know, 55% versus no, no, 95%. You know, we're, we're, we really feel like we have it under control. And that's the kind of thing that came out with, with this prediction framework. See, I have a more radical view um, yeah. and, and it's a simpler one, but more, more, more radical at the same time. And that is simply, uh, we, we, why don't we just not estimate? Why don't we just stop pretending that these things are true? Um, because I, I find so often with my clients that they've, they set themselves at the wrong place on the tilted slider. They're, they're too close to, uh, predictability when they need to be closer to productivity. And what I'd prefer to see people do is, is remind themselves, perhaps, perhaps what we need is at the top of uh, every um, uh, JIRA planning board or whatever they call it and, and uh, whatever tool <laughs> people are using, um, the word uh, uh, underneath, sort of as a watermark, the word lies should appear. Just so everybody's <laughs> always reminded uh, subliminally, um, everything on this page is false. None, none of this has happened. We shouldn't plan on any of this occurring. Now we might have various levels of confidence but um, uh, any any large number, for example, we might happen to put down, like um, what is it? People use the Fibonacci method, so they can they yep. can try to separate their their large estimates. The small estimates are one, two, uh, three, five, and then the large ones are eight and thirteen, and I don't know what does it go up to twenty one. Um, <laughs> but any of those large ones have almost no value. They should have like a red lie right on top of them because they, by definition, you're going to have a very low. Confidence level in that, or you should. Uh, if not, you're then you're not very well calibrated, right? So, uh, I I would just like us to to label these things. Make sure that we remember that all of them are false. <laughs> and I think that's you and I are, are going for a very similar thing here between the the lies and predictions. Lies lies being a bit more attention catching. So maybe maybe there's a, a good use to use that uh, uh, language. But when one thing you know the question though is, I still find value in the process of estimating. Um, not the estimates themselves. It's sort of the the thing that says you know uh, um, planning is essential, but plans are useless. Uh, and, and and that's the the one thing when people say, oh, we just shouldn't do estimates. I, I kind of push back and say, well, I think there's value in it. Is if the goal is to is to partially is to get aligned with other people, but not necessarily on um, what we think our estimate is going to be, but rather. Are we seeing tasks the tasks the same way? So it's a way of surfacing differences of opinion. And, and see, I'm just uh, I, I, what I find much more frequently to be valuable, and I do know exceptions. There are clients of mine who, who work in biotech and other um, more highly planned, more constrained environments where some of that is valuable. But I don't see why we don't just do the alignment without doing the estimation. If the estimation isn't that valuable, let's skip it. Here again, you're just saying there. It's the estimation is valuable. The estimates are not. I don't know a better way to prompt. And maybe I haven't tried. But how would you prompt people to to gain alignment on what they think is uh, uh, going to happen? And I'll give you an example, which is from the kind of 
when in the old, old days when I used to be in a team that used cards and people oh, would, cards. Would, I, I remember cards. They're so great. Please use cards. <laughs> have, Don't use Jira. <laughs> well, we, we had cards and one of the things we'd write on the, we, we, we would do kind of a planning poker thing. When we'd go in on the card, we'd end up writing what we thought the size was. We were using small, medium and large, but we'd have people essentially bid, you know, what they thought it was, whether it was small, medium, large. And, and the, what was valuable was that when in the group, when people would have different results, when someone would say it's small and someone else would say it was large, and you ask, well, why that? Why, why do you think that it's uh, small? Why do you think it's large? You know, if you say it's, if you say it's one day and you're saying it's 10, you know, you, you explain yourself. And if you both say it's two, then we probably don't have a conversation. So the, the estimating but, but process that's unfortunate was of, because you you may think it's one um, set of two things and I think it's another set of things that take two days and um, or two points or whatever it is and um, uh, we don't get a chance to um, explore that disagreement see I, I prefer that we actually write down very small steps for the tasks um, far enough out that um, we're, we're clear on uh, delivering some uh, significant value at the end of those steps but each one valuable in itself and then we can see what those are. So if you have 10 of them and I have two of them, we get the same value that you notice that you, you think it's got a lot more to it than I do, or I have a shorter route to value. And if I write down two and um, they're, they're, you write down two and they're very different, we can see that rather than just having it hidden by the number two. I just don't find the numbers very helpful. Uh, okay. So, I, well, I, so it's a good, good point you make there because that's that step you talk about writing things out. I would also do that, but at a later stage. And I would consider that the breakdown process. So when it comes to actually do the work, then I would expect people to do what, what you're describing, to have a discussion about, you know, what, do you, what are the steps involved here? And that, that kind of breakdown process for me is something that follows. But, but why not do the alignment sooner? Why, why, why wait to find out um, that you're misaligned and you think there are two um, database changes and I think there are two user interface changes to do? Because the, uh, I think it's it goes back to this question of the the trade off between predictability and productivity. I want to surface the bigger disagreements earlier and the finer disagreements later as we get closer to doing the work. So if I if I you know if I've been on a project we have let's say fifty cards that we're going to end up doing, there's a question here of sort of how we're going to order them, what we, we want to attack them, and part of that will be questions of risk, which we uncover through that that process of you know. Uh, what what are these things and how, how how differently do we feel about them? You know, what, where do we think the uncertainty is? And that comes out in that kind of estimating process. When we get to actually, and that helps us order the work, when we get to actually doing the work, then we do it. I, I wouldn't, to do the breakdown for all the steps ahead of time, I, I find it introduces a lot of waste because we end up doing breakdowns for something that we may end up actually never doing. Sure. Well, I think of a breakdown as a, a very brief activity that um, doesn't go very far. So you're not going to break down the entire um, new uh, login experience, but you might say um, add the new authorization code, uh, add the new password validation, and something else uh, enough to give you a, a sketch or an understanding of what the um, what the feature is. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that we're 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 each we're, we're each describing a sort of a, a progressive discovery that that happens throughout the process. Yes, yeah, certainly that. I'm, and I'm emphasizing the productivity end, and you're, I think, erring a little more on the um, predictability end, which is not a bad, uh, neither is bad. 
I'm, I'm curious that that would come out in practice. Certainly the people who work with me would, would put me more on the productivity side than the... Oh, the, I, I, I think we're the, way up on the slider compared to most people, but you're a little <laughs> further down than me. That, that's possible. That's possible. Um, but then, so this is, this is this question here about, about you know, we're up front, we're, now we're saying here, even in the kind of planning stage, we have this kind of estimates our lies and we should be making, we understand that we're making predictions and not certainty. But then the other part here, goes back to this, this distinction about experiments and bets. And I also thought that was interesting, um, the distinction between them. I, in the conversation I was having, I was saying that I've often tried to introduce the, the language of uh, experiments. We're going to go tr do this thing <clears throat> and we're making a prediction of what the, <clears throat> the outcome will be. So we're going to go uh, make this change and we expect the, the load on the database to drop or we expect our conversion rate to go up or we're going to send this survey and we expect people to answer. We expect an open rate. Uh, we expect a response rate of a certain thing. Yep. Um, any, any number of things we do, but whatever we're doing, it may not work out. There's just limits to what we know that are inherent, that, that's, that's sort of baked in. There's, there's always these gaps. Uh, uh, this was covered very well in the uh, Art of Action book where they talked about the, the, the gaps that we have between uh, knowledge of what we would like to know versus what we actually know, uh, uh, the gaps between the, the predicted effect and the actual effect. And I don't remember the third gap, but there's always these gaps. And so in a sense, our actions in that way are always experiments. And there's a funny distinction here between that and bets. And this is the person I was talking with uh, was, was referencing, you know, I think, Annie Duke in her book, Thinking in Bets, and the idea that you know, there's things that we're going to try and it might be a good bet, but it might not work out. And we had this kind of strange uh, or tension, unresolved tension at the moment between the distinction between experiments and a bet. Do you have an immediate response to that about how you would uh, look at these things differently? Because they're both, again, just, just language describing that there's unpredictable or unknown uh, results of your actions. Sure, and I don't think it'll be too surprising to hear that um, I'm I'm interested in both. I, I think they're they both, well, I guess I'd say that a bet involves a very um, high level, very raw, undeveloped prediction, and an experiment involves a um, more nuanced, more uh, more processed, uh, better justified prediction, a hypothesis. Uh, that's the distinction I would see between them. Um, and they're both lies. So so I'm perfectly comfortable <laughs> saying that they're both completely false um, until you actually run the experiment. Then you've actually proven something. Then you know something. But until then, you should remind yourself that you, you are taking a bet. You are um, running an experiment because you don't know. And I think that's what we far too often forget. And we, we start to believe what's written on the paper and um, not, uh, not take it with the appropriate grain of salt. I think they're both very useful. Uh, I'd say that in a, if you're more at the predictability end, sorry, more at the productivity end and more um, experimental and risk-friendly in general, then you'd be more likely to take a bet by saying, hey, I wonder if people would like to buy this at half price. I'll, I'll try slashing the price to 50% and see what happens, rather than someone who might be more disciplined about it, more um, predictable, who might say, well, we've done some user studies and that suggest that there's price sensitivity and we think that we can gain a 20% um, conversion, uplift in conversion rate uh, if the headline price is 50% lower. They're both going to do the same thing. One has just thought about it a lot more than the, than the other. 
What's interesting when you when you hear you describe that is one of the objections I've heard from a longtime coworker is he would actually say, we often talk about experiments, but we really haven't done the work to make it a good experiment. Mm. <laughs> so he he he, he more like, like that. Yeah, what he, what, he, what he would say is that we're, 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 we're more on the bet side of things. What's interesting for me is that the, when, the reason I like the word experiments, I think I'm very influenced here by Toyota Kata and the idea of you're doing this PDCA cycle. And I'm trying to plan, have people decide, um, plan, do, check, act. Do check act. Yep, keep going. The the and 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 that's design, you know described the Toyota kata the, really the improvement kata is described as an application of the scientific method where you, as you say, you have a hypothesis, you have a result you're trying to get, and you're doing this PDCA cycle trying to find out this surface the knowledge, uh, the the learning that would let you unlock the problem and get the result you want. I like that experiment language in particular because it has the uh, uh, end of the cycle where you've done the thing and you look back to say, well, what happened versus what we expected? What did we learn? And really, this is the key thing. What did we learn from doing this? And for me, just the language of bets doesn't inherently have that. It's sort of like, well, I can I can go try this. You know, I can put the money on that horse. And if I win, great. And if I don't, oh, well, and I move on. It doesn't on. tell you but how to find the next horse. Yeah, and it and it it doesn't even say it does. It's, there's nothing inherently says, "Hey, you should look at your pattern of betting, <laughs> and decide if it's actually a good one." Now, I'm I know from her hearing Andy Duke in an interview that 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 was not what she means. You know, she she would go and say, "No, you you definitely should be analyzing what you're doing, and and to to uh, be learning from it and getting better. That's a, a key part." But and the kind of the the natural everyday language of bets doesn't seem to have that. So that's, I think, why I kind of, in my coaching, recommend people to talk about adopting language of experiments, because with an experiment, you go do it, and then you go look at the result. You try, you're deliberately trying to learn from it. And really good poker players like Annie um, do, do, in fact, study very carefully what they're doing, and they're very intentional about um, what, exactly. what they're betting. Um, they, uh, contrary to movies and things, they, they don't just say, oh, I think I'll bluff and suddenly win a zillion dollars. They they study probability tables very closely <laughs> and, and analyze their thinking and try to improve. That's what her book is all about, if I understand it right. Yeah, that's that's right. Now, it, it, the, the funny thing is, is we, we've talked about this, and I'm, I'm still, I, I want to go further at some point, I think over time, not in this podcast, but I'm just in, in life, I'm going to continue to con consider this difference between bets and experiments. Because there is a part of me that has been thinking about how to bring these kind of things more into the development life cycle. And I've often thought about, it'd be really interesting to have a software development um, a tool or platform that included betting markets that where you, and, and the goal here is to try to, is try to um, bring information out from the team. So you have the hypothesis of the product and you have the estimates of how long things are going to take. You have, you know, hoped for milestones or delivery and let the team bet on them as a way of surfacing whether uh, uh, they b have belief about what the results are going to be. And I just, it'd be, for me, it'd be very interesting to have that. And could, I can imagine built-in calibration that would happen. And I will give an example. People are probably aren't familiar with betting markets, but I'll give you a, a link to one in the, in the show notes, something called Manifold uh, Markets that allows you to really bet on all kinds of different things. And the idea of a betting platform like this is it allows you, you can to bet on whether the, um, the rocket ship will go to the moon or, or whether the, the other one would, would hit the asteroid and, and things like that. Right. Exactly. 
and 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 they're live and, and it's the, the advantage here is they're changing and so someone and because also it's a market meaning i may have made one bet at one time but i could change later so as as the project goes along my level of confidence might change and i could be changing uh my bets in the market and i'm uh uh, that would that would change the signal being sent to the overall for me the, the person looking at the overall project. I would have a good sense of the team's confidence by what was happening with that with that betting market. <laughs> so, it, it, I'm I'm really fascinated with this idea of how what are lightweight cheap ways to surface the beliefs and knowledge that are in the uh, in the team, and that's why I like the, the estimates we were talking earlier about those kind of breakdowns in uh, like your approach also. You know, write down the number of steps. You know, oh, you have three steps, I have fifty. We clearly are thinking different things. Let's compare them. What are the ways that we can surface the differences of of, of viewpoints within the team? And I think a betting market might be a, a fun way to to bring that into the development process. So that's just a, sharing that this a, 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 an idea that's kind of been uh, sitting in the back of my head for a while. Excellent. Well, Jeffrey, the back of your head is a very interesting place, and uh, we've been exploring it, and I've been poking at it, and I don't think we agree on uh, exactly where to go on the slider, but uh, uh, all very interesting, as it always is. Uh, listeners may have interesting things in the backs of their heads, and, and we'd love to hear from you. So uh, to get in touch with us, head over to agileconversations.com. You'll find our email and Twitter and uh, free videos and all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, there's a conference uh, that uh, I can't go to, but Jeffrey is uh, called KitCon that's coming soon. Uh, I'm going to be in Vienna soon, uh, and then Miami, and then back in London. Uh, so lots going on for both of us. Uh, lots of detail there in the show notes. Um, and we'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on any of these topics anytime. We love it when listeners engage with us. And of course, we also love it when you show up next week uh, and come back for another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. We'll see you then. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Ron.